When you buy Kroger brand products, you feel like you're winning. That's because they offer proven quality at lower than low prices. In fact, we guarantee that you and your family will love how Kroger brand products taste. Or you get your money back. So next time you're shopping for the family, look for delicious Kroger brand products. Because they'll make you all feel like you're winning. Shop now, in-store, or online. Kroger. Fresh for everyone. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-size companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Meet Gary. Gary's about to become an Einstein in an instant. Whoa, Einstein hair. I like it. That's right, Gary, because you're using Salesforce powered by Einstein AI to connect data, predict business trends, generate personalized content, and wow customers. I do feel a lot smarter. Because you're not just Gary anymore. You're Gary, empowered by Einstein AI. Did you hear that, team? I'm an Einstein. Oh, can I get a selfie? The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Politics, policy, and perspective from D.C.'s top names. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths. I believe we owe it to their memory to renew our fight against this deadly virus. Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. The minority leader in the U.S. House is subpoenaed by the January 6th committee along with four other Republican members. Welcome to the fastest hour in politics with breaking news and extraordinary development that brings constitutional questions to the table and more partisanship likely to Washington. We'll get the latest from Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins on Capitol Hill and insights from national security lawyer Brad Moss, partner at Mark Zane. The U.S. Senate passes tens of billions of dollars in weapons for Ukraine. Not yet, actually. Jack Fitzpatrick will join us later with more as we count the votes heading into next week as it follows the House and the U.S. is marking one million COVID deaths. Democrats pushing for more money to respond. Our panel today, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano, along with Lester Munson, principal at government relations firm BGR Group. The story broke midday here in Washington. Five more subpoenas from the January 6th commission, but to actual lawmakers, to Republican members of Congress, including the minority leader in the House himself. Kevin McCarthy, who was, of course, heard on recordings, leaked recently from the New York Times, suggesting after January 6th that Donald Trump resign. A scrum of reporters caught up with McCarthy today in the hallway after the news broke. I have not seen the subpoena. I guess they sent it to you guys before they sent it to me. Uh, Look, my view on the committee has not changed. They're not conducting a legitimate investigation. It seems as though they just want to go after their political opponents. So it's unclear how exactly he's going to respond. The others apparently receiving subpoenas today as well. Jim Jordan of Ohio, Scott Perry of Pennsylvania, Mo Brooks of Alabama, Andy Biggs of Arizona. Let's get into this for a moment with Bloomberg government's Emily Wilkins, who covers the leadership in the House for us. Emily, do we expect more of a response from McCarthy? Is there going to be a news conference or something tomorrow? Well, uh, McCarthy usually has a weekly news conference, although that's not always a guarantee. 
Um, I think the the answer that he gave to reporters there is something we're going to hear repeated, though. I mean, he and Republicans have repeatedly tried to downplay the legitimacy of this committee looking into January 6th, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, just sort of saying that it's partisan, saying that, you know, they're not, that this is just going after their political enemies. Um, Certainly, we're all keeping our eyes on this committee. They have interviewed hundreds of witnesses at this point, um, gotten hours of documentation, including from people uh, like Ivanka and Jared Trump. Yeah. And so, you know, certainly it seems like their investigation has been really comprehensive. Uh, but I think what you heard from McCarthy there is is what you're going to continue to kind of hear that drumbeat of mm-hmm. downplaying the legitimacy of this panel. Any word from the other members, Emily? Yeah, I mean, we've heard a little bit, and it's kind of been in that same mold of saying, okay. you know, that, that you know, they, they don't think that it's legitimate and that, you know, this they're not planning to appear in front of the committee at this point. I mean, really, this is a huge break, though, in precedent to actually have a congressional panel issue yeah. subpoenas for sitting members of Congress, one of them who has a very real possibility of becoming Speaker of the House next year. I mean, this is just sort of goes to show exactly how divided things are right now in Washington and just how tense everything is. And a lot of it is because of this fallout from January 6th. Incredible stuff. Emily, thank you for being with us and thank you for helping us get that sound of Kevin McCarthy. That's what Emily does all day, stalking the halls of Congress. Billy House writes on the terminal, the subpoenas are certain to lead to extended court clashes, potentially rooted, he writes, in the Constitution's speech or debate clause that shields lawmakers. Let's dive deeper into this with an expert. Brad Moss, partner at Mark's Aid, specializes in national security and joins us now. Brad, welcome. We know the January 6th committee is in uncharted territory here. The idea of lawmakers sending subpoenas to lawmakers, this is a new level, no? Yeah, I mean, this very much crossed sort of an unwritten line about the idea of Congress going after one of their own with a legislative subpoena to appear before a panel. We're in a bit of uncharted territory. We don't quite know how this will play out. I mean, we certainly know, and I think you you know, you heard the uh, intro you just did kind of laid it out. We're going to see some refusals to cooperate. I'm sure McCarthy will do a, uh, a press conference, one of his usual ones, where he's going to re- indicate that they have no intention of complying and they're mm-hmm. going to try to quash the subpoenas. There's going to be some interesting constitutional issues here in terms of not only speech and debate, but also the idea of executive privilege because of the fact that some of these individuals were interacting with executive branch officials. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's going to be a very dragged out process. The question is, will there be any real stomach to try to drag it out into litigation? Will there be a move to quash the subpoenas or will they defi- simply defy them? How do you and, quash a subpoena? Uh, if, if he's your client, Brad, what do you do next? So, yeah, so the congressman will, will file in federal court. They'll move to quash a subpoena claiming it's overbroad, claiming it implicates First Amendment rights, any mm-hmm. number of issues that uh, justify uh, shutting it down, which the federal courts have jurisdiction to do. And there's already uh, court cases such as uh, Mark Meadows' case where they're trying yeah. to do something like that. Um, that's what I would expect. These we also heard, though, that Meadows was cooperating with the committee for a while, and we don't expect that to come from McCarthy. No, I have no anticipation, no reason to believe any of these members will cooperate. Even Mo Brooks, who you know, kind of got you know shivved a bit by the former yeah, president yeah. and shoved to the side, I still don't see him cooperating if he wants to have any political career going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, it'll be interesting to see if they dare the Justice Department to indict them for contempt. 
Well, that's where this would go, right? If they if they refuse the subpoenas, the courts uphold them. Then this goes to Merrick Garland to to make the next move. Yeah, and that is the one area where there's some you know, potential exposure and some risk for these members. In, that would go beyond whatever happens in the midterms. Because if the midterms go the way we expect and the Republicans take back the House, the panel is going to shut down. That's right. And there will be no civil litigation. But if this is if this gets to the point where it gets a criminal referral to the Justice Department, that goes beyond the authority of the Republicans at that point to shut down. And that would be up to DOJ. That's the one thing they don't want. Mm-hmm. How much chance do they have to slow things down? To your point, they get through the midterms and the story is going to change a lot. I know the committee is set to hold hearings next month. Can they delay this for the better part of the summer or longer? They can absolutely delay it if they handle the civil litigation properly and just move to quash it instead of yeah. outright refusing to comply. Mm-hmm. That'll ensure that the litigation goes past the midterms and that there's never, ever any resolution. So this it. is why, and you know this, Brad, this is why everyone said today when it came out, wow, big deal, unprecedented, but probably nothing's going to happen. Is that how you feel? I think it was a bit of a political move to see how these Republicans would respond, because let's remember, if assuming they take back the House, and possibly the Senate, they're going to have any number of hearings they're going to want to hold on the Biden family and Hunter Biden. There's going to be any number of subpoenas they're going to want to be respected. So anything they do to undermine, whether simply politically or not to mention potentially legally, the authority of congressional subpoenas could come back to bite them in the public, uh, public view going forward. Interesting. But then again, what happened today at the committee Crossing that line just opened the floodgates, most likely, for Republicans when they take the majority. Assuming yeah, that I happens. Think it, assuming that happens. And I think if you're, if you're, especially if you're a Democrat on the committee, you're pretty much assuming that they were going to kind of cross that line anyway. <laughs> okay, right. I mean, it has been threatened. They wanted to. That's absolutely right. As we spend time with Brad Moss, partner at Mark Zaid, and get a better sense of uh, the legal aspects here, the speech or debate clause uh, is interesting. This came up today. That would shield lawmakers from es- essentially being arrested in their own house, right, Brad? Correct. I mean, the speech and debate clause, though, is not all encompassing and universal. It's designed to shield what they do in their official capacity, and particularly on the floor of the house uh-huh. or in their offices. It's not meant to shield them. Um, from other actions they take, I mean, there's certainly been members of Congress who've gotten into criminal trouble. Okay. The speech and debate clause had nothing to do with it. I don't see that, given what we know already about these actions by these various members, I don't see yeah. that as some grand defense for them. Um, I see more of a executive privilege and more of a uh, just constitutional separation of powers problem in terms of trying to enforce this against incumbent members. Yeah. You mentioned Meadows. Steve Bannon was the other. Have we learned anything from their experiences that would give us a sense of what comes here? Or or this really is unprecedented because they're sitting members. You've got a member of the leadership. Yeah. I mean, those, those are very, certainly different. You know, Steve Bannon was just a former, you know, bureaucratic official. Mark Meadows was the, you know, chief of staff. He wasn't the member of Congress at the time of relevance for his subpoena. And even with them, you saw it with Steve Bannon's case, that's getting dragged on and dragged yeah. on and tied up in pretrial motions. It's, you know, it's still no resolution to it. It's not clear that Steve Bannon really cares if you spend six months in jail over it. He'll still never testify. And this speaks to some of the weakness of the power of Congress mm-hmm. to compel compliance. You don't think you're going to see Kevin McCarthy in handcuffs, it sounds like. I have zero reason at all okay. to believe that would happen from this case, no. And will this committee subpoena Donald Trump? Is that the next big move? 
They're, at most, I think they would offer the voluntary, you know, cooperation idea. They're not okay. going to spend their waste their political capital subpoenaing him. He would refuse it anyways, and there's going to be no resolution to that before the midterms. They've got what they need. The last person you really want to waste your time on in this kind of situation is Donald Trump, because he'll just talk your ear off. <laughs> okay, fine. Is the committee, lastly, Brad, we only have 30 seconds, slowing itself down with these subpoenas? Why not get on TV with the information you have? I, th- I think I think they're ready to do that. I think it sounds like next month they're going to have these big blockbuster hearings. Yeah. I think this is just the final political shot across the bow to see if they can put some pressure on these members, potentially make one break and provide some cooperation. Love to talk to you again when we learn more. Brad Moss, thanks for the insights. Partner at Mark Zaid, he's been through this and well, no one's been through this, but a true expert on this style of law in Washington with national security and security clearances in his portfolio. We're going to turn it over to the panel next. Jeannie Shanzano is with us today, along with Lester Munson. The fastest hour in politics. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. New levels today in Washington. You thought you'd seen it all as the January 6th committee sends subpoenas to five sitting members, all Republicans, including the minority leader, Kevin McCarthy. If you were with us at the top of the hour, you heard him say he hasn't seen the subpoena yet, and he doesn't sound like he's taking it very seriously as we assemble our panel with Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst Jeannie Shanzano and Lester Munson's with us today, principal at government relations firm BGR Group, former staff director for the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. Great to have uh, both of you with us here. We didn't know we we're going to be talking about this uh, tonight, Jeannie. Are the Democrats helping themselves or slowing the process that is really starting to bump up against the deadline here? If the majority becomes Republican, this committee's gone. Yeah, I mean, the calendar is a big problem for the Democrats. It's been a big problem for this committee. They're obviously going to have hearings in June. In terms of these subpoenas, I can't imagine that they expect there is going to be compliance. But I do think, and we hear from the members, that they thought it important after they refused to testify, uh, you know, when they were asked, that they be subject to subpoenas, as Emily and you and, and everyone was talking about, this is really, really unprecedented. I mean, the idea that the future likely speaker of the House is going to be under subpoena by his own house is, you know, in some ways, uh, people have described it as a tsunami. Yeah. And I think that is absolutely true. But well, does it feel like it. overreach to you or do you like hearing this that, you know what, Democrats are going for it? 
Uh, given the moment, I think it is important. You know, this is an incredibly important moment in American history. Accountability is required. Five people killed. The attempt to halt the peaceful transfer of power for the first time in history. Millions of dollars worth of damage at the people's house. I mean, for all of these reasons, in Kevin McCarthy's own words, he's considering using the 25th Amendment. These are all reasons that it is important that the Congress get accountability. That doesn't change the fact that Republicans will likely see this as a witch hunt. And that's not going to change. What's the move for Kevin McCarthy? Never mind the others uh, here, Lester, but we'll deal with the minority leader right now. Just continue kind of outrunning reporters in the hallways. There's nothing to see here. Or does he need to hold a news conference and look into the camera and tell people what's going on from his perspective? I have to say, I think this subpoena works to Kevin McCarthy's advantage. His real potential and, and this is this is incredibly cynical but boy this is uh this is the world we live in today that's right um uh and i and i don't want to take anything from, away can't from wait to hear what you're about to say it was really awful but uh in the crazy politics we have today the subpoena helps kevin mccarthy because he's going to uh, raise him, money on it he's going to fight it he's going to look like he's beleaguered like the same people who are coming after trump are coming after him and frankly mm-hmm. his potential political vulnerability is not necessarily with the moderates to the extent there's any left in the party it's with the most trumpy parts of the party uh and so this if anything helps him solidify that report if he fights it that this subpoena helps him fight uh helps him give the image of someone who is fighting the same fight trump is that's going to help him lock in the speakership should Republicans, <laughs> as folks expect, win, win the election in and so does that conversely bounce back on the committee and, and look like overreach well, I think, you know, so the committee is doing is doing the work that uh, congressional oversight committees do. It, it became very political, more political than it had to when Speaker Pelosi decided not to seat two of Kevin McCarthy's choices. And that and we're you know, this is the fruit of that vine. Um, not to say, again, that the events of January 6 weren't horrific. They were. But this this oversight process has been fraught from the beginning doesn't mean they can't come up with good recommendations and a good solid report and and show us some things we didn't know before. But I think the perception, certainly on the Republican side, is largely going to be this is a continuation of a political process. How about in terms of communicating this uh, for the committee, Jeannie, do you stick with the schedule for for hearings, get in front of the American people and say, look, these are the people who refuse to talk to us, but here's what we know so far. You do. I mean, I I agree with Lester, actually, on the politics of this. You know, uh, in the times we are in, this does work to Kevin McCarthy's advantage in the short term. In the long term and for history's sake, we do need accounting of this. Oversight is a critical role that Congress plays. And let's not forget, Kevin McCarthy, likely to be Speaker, he too will want to engage in oversight. And can you imagine what this is going to look like? They'll be retaliating with subpoenas, yes. They'll also be trying to investigate other aspects of the Biden administration, say, and they will run into a juggernaut there as they attempt to do that. So this is going to work both ways. It's going to work to a short-term advantage, but long-term, it's mm. bad for the American public, and it is bad for uh, you know Republicans as they take control of Congress, if indeed they do, it, when this thing spirals out of control like this. Is Donald Trump next, Lester? Is that the next subpoena? Uh, I'm sure he would love to be subpoenaed. <laughs> okay. Uh, you know, I apologize for laughing. It's a serious topic. Um, I think he would en- he would enjoy being part of the limelight again. He would have something to talk about in public. Mm-hmm. 
which he mm-hmm. doesn't really have now, except for these Republican primaries uh, that are popping up every week or so. Uh, so you'd, they'd be doing him a favor. Lester Bunsen is with us, along with Jeannie Shanzano, our panel for, gosh, it's already Thursday, the Thursday edition of Sound On. Uh, this is going to be dragged out, Jeannie. Does Kevin McCarthy just fight it until he runs out the clock? Is that to get back to where we started the strategy here? Yeah, I think the strategy is you try to quash the subpoena. You don't con- refuse. You try to quash it. And that will dra- drag out as we've all, you know, uh, unfortunately watch this go on. It's going to drag yeah. out a long time, well beyond the time uh, that this uh, they're gonna, the committee comes forward. Jeannie and Lester stay with us. Our panel for the hour. They'll be back in a bit as we turn to Aid for Ukraine. I thought this was bipartisan, non-controversial, but then Rand Paul showed up. No vote today in the Senate. You'll have to wait till next week. We'll speak with Jack Fitzpatrick from Bloomberg Government Ahead. On Sound On, I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Broadcasting live from our nation's capital, Bloomberg 99.1, to New York, Bloomberg 1130, to Boston, Bloomberg 1061, to San Francisco, Bloomberg 960, to the country, Sirius XM Channel 119, and around the globe, the Bloomberg Business App and BloombergRadio.com. This is Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew. The headline on the terminal, Ukraine aid delayed after GOP Senator Paul objects to vote. That would be Rand Paul, who refused to allow the vote on $40 billion in aid for Ukraine unless language he demanded was added. And so we wait. We'll talk about that language coming up with Bloomberg government's Jack Fitzpatrick. The president's waiting to sign this. So this was supposed to be pretty easy, right? Uh, Democrats stripped the COVID money, the COVID aid from the Ukraine bill, the Ukraine aid that was supposed to sail through with bipartisan support. The president asked for the money, $33 billion, a couple of weeks ago. Democratic leadership kicked it up to 40. Even Mitch McConnell was on board after the House passed it. We thought the Senate would do so today. Ukraine is not asking anybody else to do their fighting for them. They ask only for the resources they need to defend themselves against this lawless aggression. I strongly support the next package of lethal military assistance, which the House has passed with an overwhelming bipartisan majority. Mitch McConnell on the floor this morning. I thought, my goodness, it's a matter of just to tell me what time is the vote. And we'll let you know the outcome. Enter Rand Paul. If this gift to Ukraine passes, our total aid to Ukraine will almost equal the entire military budget of Russia. And it's not as if we have that money lying around. We will have to borrow that money from China to send it to Ukraine. So there was no vote. That's the special thing about the Senate, where I believe it was President Biden said, everyone's president when it's 50-50. So this will probably take place next week. By the way, the language uh, that he wanted was to give oversight powers uh, to the uh, Special Inspector General for Afghanistan uh, Reconstruction special oversight powers for the ukraine assistance they want to know where the money is going and jack fitzpatrick has been following this of course with bloomberg government and of course bloomberg sound on uh jack i don't know if you saw this coming but i guess ukraine's gonna have to wait how long does this slow things down for 
It's going to put it into next week at some point. Exactly how long it will take really depends on how many steps Senator Paul tries to disrupt. Uh, If he really went for a full filibuster of this, you know, it could take a week or so. We haven't gotten an indication that that's what he's going to do. But Senator Schumer has just filed for cloture this afternoon to go through the usual procedural steps. So it's not happening today. Uh, The senators essentially all seem to have left for the weekend uh, mm-hmm. And it's on next week's docket. And it, it, there's bipartisan support. It j- is just yeah. something that they couldn't get done in a single day. Well, it, will Rand Paul get that language or it's just a matter of taking another swing at this and, and having a few meetings with the other senator from Kentucky? It sounds like he's not likely to get his exact language. They actually offered him an amendment vote at a 60-vote threshold. He did not accept that offer. He wanted the (laughs) unanimous consent agreement to consider his amendment adopted. Given that he didn't accept the 60-vote offer, it seems that he doesn't have 60 votes in favor. But there is some interest in getting at this and, and trying to give some special oversight powers to someone, whether it's the uh, Afghan uh, Afghanistan Reconstruction Special Inspector General or some other uh, solution, because this is a, a really huge amount of money. I, I mean, sure. Ukraine's defense budget in a normal year tends to be somewhere around $6 billion or so. Wow. Uh, this is a $40 billion bill. Uh, so there are other members, you know, John Kennedy, the Republican from Louisiana, said he, he can work on a standalone bill. Maybe it's not attached to this, but there could be future legislation uh, trying to ramp up oversight of this money. I think that's that's an actual substantive issue rather than just a procedural yeah. hurdle. Well, this so this I wonder how much of a conversation this will become, as, as Senator Paul points out. Ukraine will have received about $60 billion from the U.S. since last year. That exceeds the budget for the State Department and could, in fact, start contributing to inflation. Is that a Rand Paul line or does that become a Republican line later in the year? The inflation line on this is more of a Rand Paul line. Obviously, huh. Republicans are campaigning on the issue of inflation. And Democrats feel the need to respond to that. Uh, If you're talking tens of billions of dollars in foreign aid, that pales in comparison to the larger stimulus issues that we've seen. Uh, But it it gets at the question of, you know, Ukraine's GDP in recent years has been like 160 billion. We're talking about a very significant infusion of resources into uh, a, a politically unstable area, obviously a lot of support for President Zelensky. Uh, sure. But you, you, when when the U.S. does this kind of thing, they want to make sure there's there are anti-corruption measures. They're tracking the money. And so that will be a broader uh, discussion that is not going away. That's not just a, a Rand Paul issue. Uh, that's a, a real issue. This just mm-hmm. tripped it up because Paul was demanding we need to adopt this on this bill right now or not, we're not going to have a vote. Uh, but I would expect lawmakers to continue having that conversation about yeah. how do they really thoroughly track the money. Jack, it was an important uh, development when the president and Democratic leadership agreed to drop this uh, this attachment of COVID response funding. There was going to be another $10 billion for testing and for treatments. As we discussed, uh, the president issued a statement on this saying he realizes that this is going to bog things down. What happens to that COVID money, though? I know that uh, Speaker Pelosi was talking about it today. Doesn't even like the sounds of the deal for $10 billion with uh, Mitt Romney. She says they want the full 22 that the president asked for. Is, is, is that even possible? 
uh, it's getting more and more difficult to see what the path is going forward for COVID aid. The needs are increasing, but it's just getting more complicated for them to negotiate this. Yeah. Uh, you're right to mention, yeah, it was a $22.5 billion request for domestic and international needs. They initially had a deal for $10 billion just focused on domestic needs. Then that Title 42 immigration issue uh, and Biden's decision to end that policy tripped that up. As that has stalled, just the domestic portion, there is a, a recognition that the international stuff needs to be addressed. If you talk to yeah. Republican lawmakers like Lindsey Graham or Roy Blunt, they say, yes, we do need to add more. But obviously, the question of how do you offset that? How do you address the immigration issues? That's very, very complicated. I'd point out the USAID uh, administrator just told lawmakers yesterday they're going to run out of money as soon as July 34th on uh, uh, vaccination globally. All right, Jack, where they're playing us out. Jack Fitzpatrick, Bloomberg Government Congress reporter. Thanks for the insights. I guess we check back next week. You know, if it happens, you'll hear about it on Sound On. We'll talk to Jack then. We reassemble the panel next. This is Bloomberg. Johann Schmiegel, you've got the world's highest IQ. Yes, 247. Wow. Did you know that thanks to Salesforce with Einstein AI, everyone's smarter? Now everyone's an Einstein, just like you. But I'm the smartest. Not anymore. With connected data and trusted AI, everyone can give customers experiences they've only dreamed of. Oh, look, here's a few Einsteins now. Hey, hi. Hola, amigo. Everyone's an Einstein? It's okay, Johan. Let it happen. The number one AI CRM. Now everyone's an Einstein with Salesforce. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Joe Matthew on Bloomberg Radio. Ukraine will wait, and apparently so will the leadership in the Senate. Wait for Rand Paul and get around this. They'll send the legislation likely to President Biden's desk next week as we discuss with Jack Fitzpatrick. We want to talk about this with the panel. I also want to talk about the COVID summit happening today at the White House in a very scary and sad milestone that we're talking about today with a million deaths in the United States. Jeannie Shanzano is here, Bloomberg Politics contributor, Democratic analyst, today spending time with Lester Munson's back with us on Sound On Principle, a government relations firm, BGR Group. So let me have it, Lester. What would you tell Rand Paul if you were on the Senate floor today hearing all this happen? I would tell Senator Paul that, uh, hey, you know, we have inspectors general at the Defense Department, at the State Department, at the U.S. Agency for International Development. Hmm. It is their job to track exactly this kind of spending. Uh, so this this little show that we're doing uh, where he wants to focus on uh, the special inspector general, uh, I believe from Afghanistan as, yeah. as the vehicle here, is, is a little bit of a distraction. Rand Paul is going to Rand Paul. <laughs> Everyone knows this. Uh, he's got his little moment here. It's going to delay things by a few days. Yeah. Uh, I guess there, there is a lesson here for congressional leadership. They could have anticipated this and built something into the bill earlier. Doesn't mean he wouldn't have done a little uh, showpiece on some other aspect of the issue. Uh, but I, you know, I have I have a feeling in the end uh, we're going to get what we need. 
it's going to be delayed by a couple of days. I'm not sure that's real material, but it's it's a nice little show for Rand Paul. It is an odd time to bring this up, Jeannie. Democrats thought they'd cleared the decks by stripping the COVID funding, and, and now this. Yeah, you never clear the decks when you're talking about the Senate these yeah, days. Yeah, that's and, for real. You know, and, and, and Rand Paul, when, when Jack was talking, he might potentially do a filibuster. You know, I am I am a fan of the old talking filibuster. We remember his in 2013 on the drones. <laughs> yeah. I want to bring it back. I want him out there. If he's going to do it, I think he should really do a talking filibuster. Um, you know, I, I, to Lester's point, the idea that there isn't oversight already with $40 billion going out the door. Um, this is something that, you know, when the American public hears about this, they'd be scratching their heads. You know, where is this money going? There's no oversight. Of course, there's oversight. So this is a tactic, but this is a tactic that has worked for Paul in the past. He's not as sort of non-interventionist as his father, but this is something he is committed to, and it's helped increase his name recognition. His last go at this was why he ended up running for president in 2016. So yep. it's something that'll work for him personally. Well, there's two different issues here, Lester. There's the, there's the oversight which you've spoken to there's also as he's bringing up the matter of inflation if you if you drop 60 billion on ukraine uh, and republicans are helping to pass this legislation uh is that in fact a driver of inflation when when we're talking about the trillions that have been spent to get us out of covid well we've already got inflation (laughs) well yeah uh, does that make it worse though or is that just a joke after spending the trillions that republicans are blaming the biden administration you know for pouring kerosene on the fire i suppose uh, i think generally no i suppose if you were in the market to buy a howitzer you would notice that prices may have bumped up bumped up a little bit because there's a war on and and we're buying howitzers for for Ukraine, if you're buying armed drones, maybe the prices will go up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, but I, I think that's really not a very good argument on the Ukraine aid package overall. Wouldn't have flown, uh, I think, in World War II. I mean, we're talking about Lend-Lease two days ago here, uh, Jeannie. This is a very different feeling conversation. It is. And, you know, I think if Rand Paul is opposed to the funding, he should be very clear on that and let others who who are as well step up. But the reality is there is a super majority that supports this for all the reasons that we've talked about. And so let it get out the door at this point. He's free to vote against it. But to sort of hide, which I think is what this is, under this idea that it's going to increase inflation Mm -hmm. doesn't seem to be an honest response. If he's opposed to the funding, he should stand up and say it yeah so you guys both agree on that how does this end lester just with a no vote from Rand paul uh i expect so he may even let it go on a voice vote next yeah. week he's had his moment in the sun this is this is not a serious legislative proposal uh he wanted he wanted to get uh some perform he wanted to get a little performance out there he's done that mm-hmm. i suspect this will this will be pretty slicked next week and uh there should be no further bumps well, I mentioned COVID aid a couple of times. Uh, we we talked about this just for a moment with Jack. There, there was supposed to be originally, well, the request from the White House was $22 billion. That got whittled down to 10 in a deal with Mitt Romney. And then the whole thing had to be excised because it just wouldn't have gotten enough votes, enough Republicans to make this happen as, as the Democrats were attaching this to the Ukraine aid bill. Uh, it's unclear where we're going here. Uh, Nancy Pelosi was asked about it today. Here's what she said. Since the $10 billion was discussed, the, the threat has increased. As some of the Republican senators said, well, if the threat increases, uh, then let's talk about it further. So I think that we should start with what we need. And by the way, 
that didn't mean that was the end of it. It just depends on the variance and what else happens. She doesn't even want this ten billion dollar deal, Jeannie. She wants the full twenty two, and that just doesn't feel like a realistic conversation right now, does it? It, it doesn't. And and you know it, they are the frustration i think of watching the democrats at a certain point over the last several months is this you know we will only go for everything and we won't settle for half a loaf we need the funding for covid that is clear and take the 10 11 12 if you can up it but to fight for all or nothing puts us in a position as we look at increasing numbers they're that threatening in the fall, we could see a big increase and leaves the government without an ability to fight back. And that doesn't help anybody. Well, we, I mean, even the 10 billion would be difficult to pass from what we're hearing, uh, Lester. And this comes on a pretty important day. Uh, the Biden administration opening its second summit, its COVID summit aimed at, at, at bringing this to an end at some point. As COVID deaths in the United States hit a new milestone. Here's the president from earlier. Today, we mark a tragic milestone here in the United States. One million COVID deaths. This is cra- I mean, we knew, I guess, this was going to happen, Lester, but just to see, to read and hear that number, one million. By the way, the EU, two million. And yeah. you can't get enough votes for $10 billion to keep the, the testing and the therapeutics going. If not, now when? Well, it's a it, it is certainly a notable number, uh, and it and it has been a long, long two years plus that we've been living with COVID. I think you pair that up with the fact that most Americans don't really feel like COVID is the threat that it used to be, uh, plus the fact that we spent a lot of money on COVID before, some of which is still around. Republicans are not wrong to make the point that we can redirect some of that spending that hasn't gone out already. Uh, I do I do want to make one quick point here, Joe. Good for the Democrats for not tying that that kind of benighted COVID money to the Ukraine bill. Yeah. That was a good move on their part. Uh, they knew that was the bipartisan package. They let that go through that way. It's going to get a little confused here on, on the COVID package. I don't think it's going anywhere. We all knew that was true. And, and good for the Democrats for separating the Ukraine money from that. I think that was a smart vote. You agree with that, Jeannie? Because it could mean it's never going to happen. I think it was important to get the Ukraine money. Well, hopefully get it out next week. And I do think it's important to go clean on that. This also Mm -hmm. has to pass. And as we listen to this milestone, I think we can all remember when they were saying, you know, 100,000 deaths or 200,000 of people were stunned by those numbers. To imagine we are sitting here today with 1 million in the United States alone. And it, it is a stunning number. And the idea that if we don't get at least 10 out, and that we haven't learned the lesson that we need to prepare to combat something like this, that is also says a lot about Congress. I agree. Mm-hmm. People want this behind them, but the reality is it's not going to be, and it isn't, unless we have the resources to fight it. And that requires money, and that requires funding from Congress. Well, just wait for the next variant, Lester. You can see this already. It happened with Omicron coming out of Delta. Remember, the White House got crushed because people couldn't get their hands on tests. We're going to do this all yeah. over again. Well, I still think there's funds available to do this. I think there's a lot of politics inside the Democratic Party on money that's been given to the states that they Mm -hmm. don't want to claw back. I think that's a real thing. And let me make the other point that the real need here is global. Uh, We we don't have vaccines for other countries, particularly in the developing world. That is a real urgent need. I'd much rather see that be the priority right now. 
Worth noting, by the way, the summit, the COVID summit I mentioned, garnered a total of $3 billion in new pledges with the world at a major crossroads here in its COVID response. And we're always watching to see what is going on in China. Jeannie and Lester, many thanks. Great panel today. Great conversation here on Sound On, where we throw some of the best minds in politics together and just air it out here on the fastest hour in politics. Before we wrap it up here, I want to turn to what happened a couple of days ago at the Washington National Cathedral. Today is the day with one million, but they held a special prayer service on the 9th, sounding the funeral bell 1,000 times to mark one million dead. It was followed by one additional toll, as a reminder of the ongoing dangers presented by the virus, according to a news release from the cathedral. This is what it sounded like on Wisconsin Avenue. Since the pandemic began, the cathedral is scheduled a bell tolling every time another 100,000 Americans have died after contracting the virus. One million today. I'll meet you back here tomorrow. On the fastest hour in politics, sound on. I'm Joe Matthew. This is Bloomberg. Top Thrill 2 is like no other course. Two 420-foot vertical speedways, three launches. All right, let's talk strategy. Copy that, driver. Go for maximum acceleration off the start. Measure that. You've got a short straightaway to push from 0 to 74 on the first vertical speedway. And what about the rollback? Rollback will set you up for an explosive reverse climb 420 feet in the sky so you reach 0 Gs in total weightlessness. 420 feet of straight-up speed. Let's get it. Top Thrill 2, the world's tallest and fastest triple-launch Stratocoaster. Get your tickets at cedarpoint.com. The Hartford understands protecting your business with the proper insurance can be a challenge. The Hartford team can provide coverage to suit your industry. The Hartford empowers mid- to large-sized companies like yours to help manage risk, from liability and property insurance to workers' comp and more. Let the Hartford help protect what's unique about your business. Learn how at thehartford.com. Join global business leaders and investors at the Bloomberg Sustainable Business Summit, returning to Singapore on July 31st. Take part in solutions-driven discussions on how to drive business value and unlock opportunity while remaining nimble in times of change and greater ESG accountability. Learn more at BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore. That's BloombergLive.com slash SustainableBizSingapore.